John, how would you like to start with a weather report or what today's number is? Um, let's do today's number. Okay, great. Here, I, have I got a link for you? All right. Okay. Uh, fun. <laughs> my favorite My favorite podcasts are the ones where they just look at stuff online. <laughs> ah, yes, I, the visual. <laughs> the treachery of images. We're allowed to, we have to picture in our mind's eye what they could possibly be referring to. Well, no, this is this is going to be some audio for John. This is going to be an education if you oh. don't know what David Lynch has been up to over over the pandemic. So, oh yes, yes, obviously we yes we were going to talk about this. Obviously, here we go for today's number. It's here June we go, 27, twenty seven, two thousand twenty one. Well, John, you got to guess. You got to know what balls. it is. What is it? It looks Each like a jar ball of coffee. Has a number. I know. Well, no, but there are balls with today's numbers, <laughs> numbers in it, so you have to guess what today's 10. number is. Oh, today's number is uh, 36. No, it's between 1 and 10, but... Okay, all right. (laughs) Are you even watching the video? (laughs) No. Okay. Pick a number. Uh, 12. No, fuck, he said... (laughs) Today's number Um, is... 10. Give it 10s across the board. 5. No, it's 5. Today's number is 5. Got it. Okay. And it's a sunny 68 here in Los Angeles. Um, Beautiful day, and you're all beautiful people. So I just wanted to let you know that. John, before we get into our movie proper, mm-hmm. I think it's only fair to announce the reason that we chose to revisit this movie in particular, um, an outlier in David, Fil- David Lynch's filmography, and that's because you were inspired by a YouTube video essay. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to do a taxonomy, an explanation, as it were, of what a YouTube video essayist is. Um, and now I feel like I would, have, I would have an easier time explaining Pokemon to you <laughs> than I would explaining... What? A, a YouTube essayist, but I, I don't know. How, how do you want to start that? See, it's tough because um, there's there's so many forms now in which they can take, and it's it's funny that we're bringing this up now because uh, last month Polygon, you know, they sometimes do special issues, and so their last special issue was what are the masterpieces of the streaming area era. Mm-hmm. So they were questioning, like, what are the few movies that, you know, might be considered great that didn't premiere in a theater or didn't get a proper, you know, film uh, premiere, as it were. So, um, and one of the topics that they also came up with, what are the classics of the video essay genre? And then what mm-hmm. do we define as a video essay? Now, I think maybe their their intentions were good but i think that they also kind of like their list was maybe a little skewed because one of the major criticisms is that a lot of youtube essayists are extremely white <laughs> um, uh, i was gonna so. say that was the first quality in our in our taxonomy is that it's an overwhelmingly white field uh, yes and so they they did a list i think they did about between 10 and 20 like the premier video essays and a lot of them featured people of color but um you know, I a lot of those I wasn't particularly interested in because there was one that were like they were talking about like YouTube creators in general, and I was just like, eh, d- d- yeah. d- d- no, yes, that's and, what, you're, and you're racist. Continue, yeah, yes, and I'm racist. Obviously, we've all known this for a long time, yeah. but <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's a it's a funny, you know, I think this is something that you know is in the discourse now. The dreaded discourse is how do we define a YouTube video essay? Personally, for me, what I look for is um, a narrator, but no actual person physically on screen. Mm-hmm. And I think what's important is the use of editing to kind of emphasize your point or to make light or humor. I think that is an important aspect of the video essay. Yeah, I'd say that started with, well, one of the progenitors of this whole genre was uh, 
uh, Red Letter Media and their Mr. Plinkett like Star Wars review. So mm-hmm. that's really that's really like kind of the the ur text of this, and it's a a white person b looking at like mass popular entertainment. That's the other thing too. Like yes, sometimes somebody will dig into as as we'll see here a uh, uh, a David Lynch movie that's that's kind of kind of been forgotten in the 20 years that it's been released but you know that that's not what they're, what they're looking at they're looking at like star wars or disney movies or Jurassic marvel Park. movies marvel, marvel movies yes <laughs> like big massive entertainment too mm-hmm. um which is important because i think the problem is you know with with mass market stuff people think like oh we don't need to give a critical eye to that about what our culture is saying and what people are interested in you know that's just you know that's just garbage that's like you know criticizing a, a happy meal toy you know it's just it's just a piece of consumer product why do we need to look any deeper into it about the messages and things we need to say or yeah. you know what it's saying and as you said, using editing like to humor and reinforce points, like uh, a lot of them stick in like reaction, <laughs> what what amounts to a reaction gif or something like that when they mm-hmm. when, to try to emphasize a point. Um, two other qualities I wanted to say is that one, you don't think that the person should be on screen. I actually disagree. I I feel like a lot of YouTube video essays do take the place do take the form of a personal vlog. Mm-hmm. And that's because they're trying to connect with an audience and express a personal opinion. So actually, I think that's why, like, what what more appeals to me is somebody on screen, like, explaining it. Um, sometimes with some production design, like, um, a, a big one is uh, Maggie Mae Fish. And I know she puts on different costumes and stuff. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, another one, Lindsay Ellis isn't afraid to look a little, like, you know, sh- <laughs> shambly. <laughs> or, like, yeah. yeah, or, like, you know, have have a few beers while she's, like, elucidating. She's not going to put on airs for you, yeah. you plebeians. <laughs> yeah. Um, or if you're just an ugly mofo, um, like, say, uh, the Nostalgia Critic or Patrick Aix Willems, like, yeah, you'll... Now hold on, as as the NY Times this past week has reminded us, it's not fair to be mean to ugly people, which our society is way too cool with. So yeah. hey guys, stop it, all right? Mm-hmm. And that's from the NY Times opinion, which is infallible and yes. always correct. So. From David Brooks, our, our, our public luminary, an intellectual yes. that we should always listen to. Mm-hmm. The best. Yeah. But um, another quality that I, I wanted to pour into is that... Um, not just are they looking at like mass entertainment, and also they can be on screen or off, but mm-hmm. th- a lot of them are really either aspiring or trying to break into filmmaking. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, and- Lindsay Ellis famously had one with uh, the guy from Folding Ideas, and I think it was formatted as a debate of, should you go to film school? <laughs> because yeah. both of them you know, went to film school, and obviously their career trajectory didn't end, turn out as they both would have hoped, <laughs> I would <laughs> say. <laughs> no, they were not the next... Uh, Steven Spielberg and Catherine Bigelow or whatever mm-hmm. like yeah not to say like <laughs> hey that's nobody's like if, if you look at the batting average of people trying to break into Hollywood it is near zero so I don't yes. want to like begrudge people but like yeah what is it about like I don't know not like film school dropouts but people like aspiring like what is it about this form that they can do is it the fact that it's like released via YouTube is it the fact that you can edit um maybe that you don't need like 8,000 collaborators and a crew of like 50 people and oh absolutely i think that's definitely it's it's definitely a a a a bit of it's a uh, using the most with what resources you have and so like you said you brought up the red letter media guys and then also i think the big progenitor of the serious um the urtext to the serious you know uh video essay was always every frame of painting 
yeah. they were the ones who originally kind of like, oh, no, 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 this is an academic exercise, my friends. <laughs> Whereas, like, obviously, <laughs> you know, Mr. Plinkett is a thumb in the eye, very ironic. Every frame of painting is like, mm-hmm, let me tell you about cinema. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, yes, I do think that it's it's a majority, it's a way to use the uh, craft, the skills that they've honed, but also show off all the work they do. So, you know, when mm-hmm. what what's the, how's the phrase go? You know, those who can't do, teach. So instead, it's like, oh, let me let me illuminate for you people how how actual film filmcraft works. So I think yes, that is a large portion of why they've chosen to do that. Why you know, and again, resources. And I think that's also probably one of the reasons why a lot of them are white is because you know you need film editing software, you need a computer that can handle film editing software, you need a lot of, and you need the money to have at least gone to film school realistically. So I think that yes, there is. Obviously, economic reasons why, you know, a majority of popular YouTubers are white, you know, they have fallback plans, they've got rich parents who allow them to, you know, make money off YouTube, so. Yeah, they don't have to work a real job, for instance, so they're exactly, struggling yes. to make rent, but anyway. <laughs> um, now, I'm going to say something potentially mean here, <laughs> but oh, this no. is the other quality, and maybe you'll disagree, but um, yeah, you brought up... Um, Tony Zhao, the creator of Every Frame of Painting, obviously mm. huge videos. Um, he had the good sense to stop. Yes, but, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, but what's come in his wake is a lot of like other like um, serious like uh, serious looks at cinema and and looking not just at big mass entertainment, but also like classic films and and stuff like that, or or more artistic endeavors. And the the problem I'm having with a lot of YouTube video essays is that it is very facile. It's very basic, and either they've forgotten how to construct an essay from high school, or they're just looking at, they're like crafting a story out of, I don't know, discourse. Like, I don't know, like, if I could bring up some examples, like, mm-hmm. uh, the Patrick Case Williams guy, you know, one of these bald, um, really intense, uh, freaky-looking yeah. people. Mm-hmm. He did, like, a three-part something on the career trajectory of Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. It's, like, again, three three parts, like, you know, a total of, like, two hours or something like that. Not once in, in those total two hours did he talk about any of his films and why they were good. It was more like, <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola won an Oscar. He was on top of the world, but then this film came along and it flopped. <laughs> but the, I mean, yes, famously, he barely talks about The Godfather in that video essay, yeah. so... <laughs> Um, I think mostly to the chagrin of a potential audience and also to like, you know, kind of subvert expectations. Um, yes, like I do think that there is a there is a problem that it can sometimes, you know, like they do get a little too rambly. They do get a little too scattershot because as someone who's had to, you know, do essays recently, as I'm in grad school right now, I have to do essays constantly. You know, when you're dealing with topics that are very big, it's very hard to kind of like pare down and funnel down what your idea is because you want to like branch off into 9 million different directions. And I think, yes, in a non-academic space that YouTube is, you know, where you want to be entertaining, you want to grab a hold of everything. And unfortunately, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like a lot of them are very, very scattershot. And also way too long. Yes, we do not need <laughs> two hours on, you know, Batman movies. That's insane. <laughs> I Yes. In general, I agree with you. However, mm-hmm. the uh, eight-part, 50-hour uh, um, total video essay on why The Last Jedi is objectively the worst movie of all time, I feel like the public really needed that. So, no, Of course. You're absolutely yeah. right. That changed the world, honestly. Like, <laughs> yeah. And now that person, is uh, he's uh, he's just signed a deal with Spotlight fe- or Searchlight Pictures, so his next movie is mm-hmm. going to... No, no, no. He's he's the president of uh, Lucasfilm now. Kathleen oh, Kennedy. Oh, got yes. it. Got it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the demon Kathleen Kennedy. Oh, get this wokeness out. out of here. Yeah. 
<laughs> this wokeness ruined my entertainment made for babies. How yeah. dare they? <laughs> ruined the military, too. How dare they? <laughs> <laughs> How dare everything? How dare they? Yeah. Anyway, I, I feel like that's a good summation of the... Fr- I feel like people have a good picture now. They can go straight to YouTube and you'll type in video essay, please, and uh, <laughs> write the super information superhighway all the way... You know to- what? P- there's not enough politeness in searches anymore. I need... I Now I think it's a prerequisite. You need to put please at the end of every search. I know. What happened Sex to Sex ask- gifs, please. <laughs> yeah. What happened to, to ask Jeeves? Like, again, he seems like a very personable butler. Now I have to use um, mega conglomerates, oh, now it's B- all, Google yes. or Bing. Like, now yeah. it's all algorithms. At least with Ask Jeeves, there was someone you knew was on the other <laughs> side with his switchboard being like, hmm, well, I'll just, uh, let me yeah. just finagle some wires for you. And oh, there you go. Yep, you know, he was my personal touch? He was my, family in, my family's indentured servant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> guys, I don't know if you knew this, but the monarchy's good, actually. There's structure. There's structure now. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Yeah. Okay, with all that out of the way, Let's actually get into the classic we're revisiting, because that's the format of every episode. Hi. Yes. Welcome to Aspiring Snobs. I'm Greg. This is my twin brother, John. Hello. And what we try to do is revisit a classic and see if it's worthy of that classic status, or catch up and build up our film bona fides, basically. Um, And you wanted to look at this one, an outlier in David Lynch's filmography, Mm -hmm. Um, one that, I I don't know if it's like, it reached that classic status... um, like, again, doesn't have a lot of Academy Awards to its name, uh, not necessarily like a cult film like David Lynch's other work, but um, yeah, still worth revisiting, um, especially after a, a video essay. And, <laughs> you know, you can bring your own critique to it. And that's what we're going to do to uh, David Lynch's 1999 masterpiece, The Straight Story. why we're revisiting this one you already mentioned the video essay which was done by maggie may fish and also coincidentally she just came out with another one examining comparing the work of uh Stav- stanley kubrick and uh david lynch she's a big fan of david lynch guys i don't know if you <laughs> not um, not a big fan of that that gaslighting abusive uh yes that asshole <laughs> stanley that Kubrick. monster yes stanley yes. kubrick um, and then reason number two is our movie guru, uh, Uncle Paul, uh, he's the one who recommended this movie to me. Mm-hmm. And then also timing wise, you know, this movie, this, uh, essay, or not this essay, <laughs> this episode will come out, um, close to 4th of July. So I'm watching a uniquely American movie. And mm-hmm. also, you know, as we put Pride Month to a close, get out of here, gays. We need yeah. some straight movies in here. Yeah. We need some truly American movies. <laughs> You're done. We, we saw our, our customer, our PR campaign ends on the 30th. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> Our avatars will go back to being the regular logo and not the rainbow one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, th- 
again, John, this is a piece of Americana, as you said. Uh, it's also a Disney product, which which uh, is also surprising for which is David also yeah. Which I, I don't know if we want to get into it now. What I always find fascinating is the calculus that Disney, because Disney is one of the most manicured and well upheld brands in the world. But where do they decide whether they're going to brand something as Disney versus, like, not? Like, it's very evident with, like, Pixar movies and animated movies. It's like they put Disney right at the, like, the logo right at the top of the poster. This is a Disney product. But with their live-action stuff, they're a little more, like, scattershot. And I think it's a little more ill-defined what they kind of, like, it's definitely family-friendly. That's definitely something that is a kind of, like, prerequisite to getting something branded as a Disney film. Yeah, I think uh, we're talking about a 1999 film, and, and back of the day, if they were going to acquire an independent film like this, so mm-hmm. when I say this is a Disney product, really it was a Disney acquisition. Like it was an independent film that premiered at Cannes, and Disney was like, "Oh, we'll we'll do it," and they put it under the Disney label because, as you said, it's a family-friendly, G-rated inspirational story um if they wanted to do something more adult they had their touchstone um uh vertical that's yes. the one that that's the and one then they, they also buy up. miramax at one point yes yes they also yeah. owned miramax and that that's what they would put like the adult oriented or whatever so it wouldn't it wouldn't uh, dilute or the uh family friendly imperature of uh disney mm-hmm. and something that also must be said because people think like oh this is a, a disney product like how, how could they ever like do a david lynch film I think people forget like how dire Disney's live action film department was in the '90s and 2000s, because um, you had remakes of like The Parent Trap and and a live action one of 101 Dalmatians. Uh, you had, as we saw on Disney Plus. Uh, the kid starring Bruce Willis. Yes, uh, <laughs> that was recommended to me immediately after this ending. Yeah, <laughs> a, a guy meets his younger uh, himself as a kid or something like. Yeah, mm-hmm. probably not. Uh, and then, who can remember in 2006, uh, the remake of The Shaggy Dog starring Tim Allen? Ah, yes. Classic. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. So if you want to know why they bought Lucasfilm and uh, Marvel and all these other like big properties, it's because their live-action films were crap. And they're like, here's how to, here's how to get into like the big mass-market uh, live-action films, basically, when, mm-hmm. when they yeah. don't have to remake... Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, don't know. but I, we missed out on a remake of the Black Hole, guys. Come on, yeah. like we could have had that. Exactly. <laughs> I don't. You know, well, maybe it'll come one day. D twenty three next year. They'll announce it. I'm excited. <laughs> I know they are running out of material here. Like we just had Cruella. Uh, what's next? The Aristocats and uh... <laughs> um, Olive Oliver and Company. <laughs> yes. No, that wasn't a Disney. Great Mouse Detective. Yeah, it that's it. Oh, it no, was? Oliver okay. and Company was. That was, oh, it was. Yeah, that's okay. one of those. That's one of those forgotten, like the Black Cauldron. Like, yeah, remember when we did this? We mm-hmm. teamed up with uh, uh, Billy Joel. It was great, guys. <laughs> Don't yeah. you remember? Remember? Okay, brass tacks. The Straight story, uh, insp- based on uh, uh, the real life of Alvin Strait, um, who at 73 years young wanted to go see his brother, but um, he was in ill health and had to take a riding mower there, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie stars Richard Farnsworth, a, a great character actor, um, in his last role. Unfortunately, he was like uh, suffering from cancer at the time, and yeah, it was like that's that was the other like inspirational part of it, like uh, the fact that he not only resembles the real life Alvin Strait, but uh, again was like this lion in winter and and in kind of intoning all the 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 age uh, his elderly qualities and, and mm-hmm. ill health. Yeah, so but. Um, 
what the, what the movie the movie's not about that like i i thought it would would have been like the like you would have had the inspirational score or something like that but the movie's much slower as as the <laughs> as the story implies a guy going 5 miles an hour across the the cornfields of iowa like, like it is a slow contemplative movie um it's not it's not like a conventional like oh here's the silly scene where he's like trying yeah. to get out of town like here's the oh no storms come and and uh, you know the music swells and and the camera angles are like dutch and and all that like it's not like that instead it's a much like kind of slower pay on to like the american heartland and this one guy's like a uh, kind of not mythic quest but like you know like a a, a human story and that's mm. and that's basically what it is yeah and again, the other thing that makes it uh, special is the fact that it's helmed by David Lynch, someone who, yeah. um, you know, particularly doesn't do these kind of movies. No. <laughs> like if this were more, of, if this felt more like a David Lynch product, you know, halfway through it would be recast with a younger version of him on a riding lawnmower, and then he'd stop at a diner, and then the sexy vamp would stop him, and then it'd become a murder mystery. <laughs> yes. And then, you know, and then they would go into a mirror world, and it would be a whole different story. But yeah. yes, yeah. because it's David Lynch, he's kind of, um, he, he would say that this is his most experimental movie um because obviously he's a contrarian at heart um and you know maybe he's right because again this is not a, a rip-roaring fun adventure movie um there are a few moments of levity um uh, the one that kind of sticks out to me is when he does his initial run his tractor uh, i keep calling it a tractor it's a it's a lawnmower yeah. <laughs> His lawnmower break down, breaks down almost immediately. So what he does is he goes home, gets out a shotgun, you know, dumps some gasoline on it, and and lights it on fire, emulsifies it. Yeah. So um, and that's when it causes him to kind of spend the rest of his money to um, uh, go and uh, get a new one. So yeah, and so I I don't know how much of it is is kind of based on fact. I yeah, it wasn't the levity. I was looking for like little hints and pieces of David Lynch because this isn't really his his story. This is this might have been a work for hire situation. It came up with um his uh frequent editor and collaborator, Mary Sweeney. She was the one like kinda of driving the the conception and this like film to completion. David Lynch just happened to like be the be the director or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I say that, but that's that's how he like joined the project. It wasn't like he wasn't like I, I'm doing Mulholland Drive. Um <laughs> I'm doing another movie like the '50s, but weird. Um, but also, I want to do an inspirational Alvin Strait story. It's uh, <laughs> it's pretty inspiring. Uh, no, the, he like kind of came on board, and yeah. And I was looking for it, and and you kind of get some David Lynch weirdness when his friends like are, are looking for him at the bar. There's a little misdirection. Like it opens with like you hear a guy falling in his home, and I thought that would have been like coming in. Everything I knew about the movie, I would have assumed that was Alvin's brother. Um, mm. suffering his stroke and and then we would cut to later like Alvin hearing this news and then setting off on his quest instead it's it's actually Alvin um he's fallen over like he's had a fall in his home mm. um he's looked after like his his neighbor obviously didn't hear and he's looked after by his uh his daughter who has a an intellectual disability mm. um played by Sissy Spacek yeah um and then and again, like the the weirdness in terms of like having old guy or older middle aged guys like yell stuff. Uh, that's that's what I come to expect in a, in a David Lynch pro, uh, production. Uh, and so you you kind of get that at the very beginning, but instead this is like again very straightforward, quiet story basically. Yes. However, I I just couldn't get past Sissy Spacek's um, performance here because yeah, 
she's she's presented as neuroatypical and so obviously it always brings up that conversation that a lot of people are dealing with right now is well why couldn't we get someone who actually might be on the autism spectrum to play this part well it's because sissy spacex a star um you know she could obviously always use more golden stone uh, trophies so why not put her in the role and it's not that she does a bad job but it's just you know it's it, it rubs you the wrong way watching someone kind of feel a little caricature-y when you know Sissy Spacek is, you know, like, it just, yeah, it's it, it feels off. It feels off. Yes. But I guess that's expected of a David Lynch movie. Everything's supposed to kind of feel off. Alvin, you've got three five-gallon cans there. Fifteen gallons of gas. We need so much gas for, Alvin. Sig, you're one nosy son of a gun. You got that right. I want to buy that. What? The grabber. Oh, geez, Alvin. That's my grabber, Alvin. Well? Uh. Oh, geez, Alvin. I don't know. I, I do have two of my... Oh, I'd think $5 would be about right. That's a darn good grabber, Alvin. I... I well? They're hard to come by, Alvin. It's going to take me two months to get another one on order. Uh... 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 Jeez, Alvin, $10. Ring her up. Yeah, and and we learn her tragic backstory. Like she's a she's a mom, but because of her disability, like um the the state is now a ward of her kids. Or yeah, um she she doesn't have custody of her children anymore. And but yeah, and here's here's the thing. Like it, it's not convincing. Is the problem? Like again, you see all the mannerisms of the story, and what it brought to mind for me is that oh, this could just be a straightforward like inspirational tale of Alvin Strait going to sea and reconciled with his brother. Um, but then it's it's a, it just reminded me that this is a commercial product mm-hmm. and it's trying to do things outside of just being a work of art. So I feel like they, they cast Sissy Spacek as this um, woman with an intellectual disability because that's what it was attracting awards attention at the time. Yes. Um, and <laughs> thankfully this and I Am Sam, like hopefully it just killed that trend and we never do it again. Um, <laughs> As you said, uh, the plot kind of kicks off. Unfortunately, his old uh, riding lawnmower can't do it anymore. So he goes and he buys a John Deere riding lawnmower. Ah, he yes. goes to the John Deere. A reliable Deere. piece of equipment. Yeah. <laughs> he goes to the John Deere dealership. And, yeah, like, that's plastered on the side. And so that's a, that's an indelible, like, point. Like, I'm not sure if that was genuine product placement, but it certainly feels like it. The same when he's in a bar and he's like, I'll have one beer. And you see the Miller Lite label, like, right yeah. there. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, also, I think there is something to be said about this movie is obviously not trying to be super, it, it, it's trying to be super conventional, but also not. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't help but notice that these moments where you do kind of notice the very obvious product placement are also, you could argue, are meant to be setups and payoffs to things later. Even the John Deere tractor has its problems, which need to also be fixed. And I think both, the reason for both those scenes is to show his haggling abilities. He's very good at haggling. <laughs> yeah. Um 
And then the beer scene where the the prominent Miller life, ah, yes, the Miller living the high life. Um, It's obviously meant to kind of bring full circle the fact that he admits that he has a problem with alcohol and that, you know, he's he's given into the demon drink before in his past. He turned into an angry man. Um, So I think because of those scenes kind of being more easily kind of set up and paid off, I didn't mind so much that they were also could act as flagrant product placement. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and not to just, not to say like oh the movie's diminished in my mind because of that because mm-hmm. the, what's in between those those moments that stick out and remind me that this is in fact a commercial product are these great scenes where we're flying over like amber waves of grain and there's a great score and and he does like encounter these people who have their own stories and they connect in a way the first one he does is a um, a young uh, a young pregnant teenager um, mm-hmm. who's running away from home. And she and she shacks up with him basically, and 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 they have a conversation about like the like importance of family, and again, yeah. it's like very straightforward. It's not like it's not cartoony. It's, it's it's trying to it's literally like the straight story. Like you're just getting like two human people, and not like you know, not the comic misunderstandings of a movie, not the you know no. uh, uh, teary uh, teary monologues of a movie or something, and. Yeah, it's 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 realistically and, and wonderfully done uh yeah. for for a David Lynch movie. <laughs> well, and so that also kind of gets to the point of the, you know, this call it being called the straight story, you know, mm-hmm. because the guy's last name is Straight and also, you know, this is a there's a feel good story about brothers reuniting. You can't help but notice that there's a lot of irony in the fact that this is called the straight story because a, you know, like when we talk about it being the straight story, that implies that there's a lot of truth to this story and that there's a, there's a lot of, you know, kind of not, there's no guff. There's no like extra padding to the story. Well, here's a, a, an elderly man talking to this younger woman about the virtue of, you know, family bonds and, you know, like a bundle of sticks is strong, you know, apes together strong. This is a man who hasn't talked to his brother in about two decades and yeah. he's, and he's talking about the virtue of family. And I think also the irony of the, the, the title and the, fact that you know this is the straight story is he's a man who's so unopened he's so closed off like Mm -hmm. the fact that what this you know scene is illustrating is the fact that he can't have a normal conversation with people (laughs) like he has to be goaded into talking about himself he has to be Mm -hmm. goaded into having like kind of real connections i mean come on we talked about the opening scene you know he fell on the floor he didn't call out for help no one knew where he was (laughs) because again this is a man who you know struggles with actual relationships with actual communication so i do think that there's a lot of irony he's mining over the fact that you know, ah, yes, Alvin Strait, the man who gives it to you plain. You know, just a plain spoken American. It's like, no, he's hurting inside. He's dying inside because <laughs> he can't connect with people. Yeah, and like even down to a basic level, like you never really see his motivation for taking his lawnmower on this like huge journey. There's obviously a million different like things could come up. Like, why didn't you take the bus? Or like, mm-hmm. hey, I'll drive you. Like, you know, my wife and I won't gladly do. It. And he's like, nope. He's he's pretty like, again, he's insistent, but also very cagey about what his motivation is about this. And yeah, I I think there is like a the way the story progresses, there is a little bit more of a blossoming there, uh, because as you said, like he's he's ironically like telling this woman like you know return to your family, like maintain those bonds. Uh, when I haven't, like, obviously like <laughs> I've disconnected from my brother for over a decade and he regrets that, mm-hmm. like that, 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 you know, sage, that sage advice that he has, uh, later, like, again, he doesn't talk about himself, but he does connect with, 
a, a fellow man in his seventies who's a Viet or excuse me, a World War Two veteran, mm-hmm. and they uh, like had this bonding, like this teary bonding experience over over their um yeah over they the both war. kind of talk about their combined PTSD yeah. and how it's kind of affected them you know deeply even though they don't talk about it they don't get this opportunity to kind of like talk about it and connect about it so mm-hmm. yeah. Can I help you, lady? No, you can't help me. No one can help me. I've tried driving with my lights on. I've tried sounding my horn. I scream out the window. I, I roll the window down and bang on the side of the door and play public enemy real loud. I have prayed to St. Francis of Assisi, St. Christopher too. What the heck? I've tried everything a person could do, and still, every week, I plow into at least one deer. I have hit 13 deer in seven weeks driving down this road, mister. And I have to drive down this road every day, 40 miles back and forth to work. I have to drive to work and I have to drive home. (sighs) Where do they come from? Yeah, so... Again, like it's very well done from that point of view, but also like j- just the tone, because again, we're talking about like very mild stuff. Like again, like the the lawn, the, the height of drama is that the lawnmower breaks down, basically. <laughs> so well, the height of drama is he he loses his brakes on a downhill, yeah. and then it becomes like, and also there's a fire that they're doing like a controlled burn on that same highway. So it's like. Yeah. Was the fear that he was going to run into the burning building, or was it just a, the reason why is because he needs people sitting outside enjoying it? Because this is this is the height of entertainment in Bumfuck, Wisconsin. <laughs> yes, I think that I think that was the key. Uh, yes. Just a, just a reminder never to set foot outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> stay in those city limits. But uh, and Madison, Madison's a good town. Too. Yes, Madison's a nice town too. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah, I, I don't know if that's the exact circumstance. Maybe it was to enliven the visuals because that burning barn like stays behind them as um as he meets these like kind kind folks who are again watching the controlled burn with nothing else to do on their saturdays um <laughs> yes <laughs> that is that is kind of the amazing thing too is that there's no the movie has is set in i think 1996 or 1995 is when his journey took place mm-hmm. but it, it it does feel really timeless because th- nobody has a cell phone nobody watches television there's not even like a radio mm-hmm. and yeah, and I, I don't think obviously <laughs> they're not they're, they're not that like a, a strap for media in the Midwest. I don't think, but yeah, there's there's something like kind of that's what makes it so not plain, but like straightforward is like there is no like really like a world outside of this basically. Like mm-hmm. we're just gonna stick to Alvin Strait, his motivations, his story, and and kind of keep it at that like there's no grander political statements there's no like him getting uh radicalized by him, uh, the, <laughs> the news media or something like. no we get it yes and like part of me also wanted to joke is like ah yes the boys are going on trump safari again <laughs> get <Yeah>. your pith <laughs> helmets <laughs> get your adventuring boots we're going into the heart of red country yes yeah. <laughs> where these strange creatures calling themselves republicans live <laughs> although they don't really believe in party <laughs> no <laughs> They'll give it to you straight. Yes. <laughs> they they don't like they don't like some of those politicians at Washington. They just mm. want people who get stuff done. You yes. kick all the immigrants out of the nation. 
Yeah, again, like, you know, I, I do want to, like, praise this movie while also kind of talking about um, its faults. Like, the fact that there is no person of color in the entire cast yeah. is pretty bad. You know, going along with the whole, you know, Sissy Spacek casting is, like, in, in today's climate, looking at it with more enlightened eyes, we mm-hmm. can obviously be a little bit more critical of, you know, the representation in this movie. But, uh you know, overall, I, I thought it was a pretty strong movie. And uh, again, like, I, you know what it uh, reminded me a lot of was uh, Tim Burton's really only good movie, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Big Fish. <laughs> uh, Big Fish, because it's a movie that's more of a movie that has, like, an animating idea. And mm-hmm. so uh, this movie has an animating idea, too, but you just kind of, it's very buried. And so, yes, you can kind of, like, examine it. Like, on the surface, it's very straightforward, but underneath it, you can talk about, like, you know, this is the straight story. Like, just encapsulating that whole title, like, talking about the terms of narrative and who we think of as characters and who we think of in day-to-day life. That's what makes David Lynch an appropriate director for it, is because I think that's also something he explores in his work, obviously. He's very interested in, you know, narrative experimentation. Hence why this is his most experimental work. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There was one moment I forgot to mention where that weirdness does burble up it's when uh he's riding a deer jumps out in front of a woman's car yes and you don't see the impact or whatever instead like it zooms in three times on richard farnsworth's face (laughs) um and she she gets out and in her trademark david lynch way starts screaming about like you know she's afraid of the same this has happened like four times (laughs) and i like deer yeah (laughs) that's the only moment in which like david lynch I'll call it conventional David Lynch uh, <laughs> comes comes to the fore, but otherwise, yeah, it's just it's just straightforward and like I don't know, like a good, good story told in a in a conventional way. I that again, that's the only like weird moment. The otherwise, I do like the the little montages in which like he is just riding along in between plot points because the movie's very episodic, um, mm-hmm. and there's helicopter footage over the amber waves of grain, and and it really does. It's kind of set a mood or like yeah. you know, a, a vibe for this kind of story. So, yeah. I mean, if you really want to get technical, uh, the the screen direction does play a little bit. Like he's he's kind of done from the right profile and then he kind of goes to the left. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, if they were a little more careful with it, they would have done it consistently. Oh. So we'd get the sense that he was going from west to east. But, you know, uh, other so, than yeah, that. So, yeah, suddenly your YouTube uh, video essay is like... <laughs> Uh, the rules are like everything has to conventionally move on the same side, like uh, 180 tone. degrees, 180 yeah. degrees, 180 degrees. Yeah, <laughs> like tone is a tone is obviously the the big one that every yes. like YouTube video essay like everything needs a consistent tone. Everything needs to follow the uh, right to left progression or something. Exactly, like yeah. yes, American Americans. I think that's a uniquely American thing. Because I think that's one of the biggest reasons why Americans get on, like, weird, you know, foreign movies like these Bollywood things. Because, yeah, they're definitely not as slavish to tone as American films are. American films oh, have yeah. to be very kind of, like, consistent. Like, this is, a, this is a serious movie. This is a funny movie, you know. I think I think it's because of, um, yeah, one, one piece of our YouTube essay is taxonomy we didn't pick up is nitpicking. And, ah, yes. Yeah. Of course, the most important factor. <laughs> yeah. Because again, it's a it's a way to look smart or say like I had I had the gnostic wisdom to look at ah, something yes. you didn't think about and <laughs> like for a long time tone isn't something that people thought about. Um, but I I think with this movie you can't really do it because there's there's not a lot liminally going on in the story for you, like you to pick up on like <laughs> no and like I, and you and you brought up the deer scene I thought that was just like again like a little comedy aside I didn't think of that like oh the true David Lynch is coming out <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's that's the weird thing. Like it, it feels it, it's possible it could have been a true part of the Alvin Strait story, like mm-hmm. like the like his breakdowns. Uh, the other out of place scene that is just pure comedy is the Fairley brothers, um, not the yes. good one, not Chris, <laughs> are come in as like bumbling twin uh, lawnmower repair guys, and and he obviously gets the better of them, uh, or excuse me, Alvin Strait gets the better of them in, with his negotiation skills. So. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only other scene that feels like out of place. Again, that's like a conventional movie. Like, oh, yeah. this is wacky. Like when the rest of it is so. Oh, human. you underestimated him because he's yeah. old. But no, 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 <laughs> look <Yeah>. out. <laughs> when the rest of the movie is so human and <laughs> realistic, so and just generally quiet. It's a quiet movie, yeah. and you know yeah. that's not a bad thing. Like typically, no. when I'm going into a movie, yes, I want a lot. I, w- I want to be, you know, I want to be taken in. But you know, sometimes you can achieve that with something understated, and uh, this movie is very understated and uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. Uh, definitely uh, worth a watch on on Disney Plus. Um. <laughs> Lyle. Lyle. Did you ride that thing all the way out here to see me? I did, Lyle. Does this make me a David Lynch fan now? Am I a fan of David Lynch? Well, you, you would join the exclusive company of uh, one Roger Ebert, uh, who gave this oh. film four stars out of four. The only positive... Oh, no. Um, not, the only positive notice he gave David Lynch to that point, he did also like Inland Empire, which is a movie I want to I see. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. That, that is, uh, again, conventional David Lynch. Um, oh, <laughs> shot you. digitally, a lot of Laura Dern yelling, um, <laughs> which is always a delight. <laughs> Now that so, what you're saying is Roger Ebert didn't really appreciate David Lynch. No, he didn't like um, Blue Velvet. I I remember was one of his famously like that's the one that kind of put reviews. him on the map. But yeah, and that's well, the movie that put David Lynch on the map, right? Well, technically, it was a Racerhead that like put him on the map. Uh, that's right. Blue Velvet was the one that kept him on this trajectory of like <laughs> having uh, middle-aged white men yell the code. You broke the code, <laughs> or something like that. Um, but Ebert famously didn't like that movie. Um, mm-hmm. Part of part of it just uh, morality, because um, uh, Ebert was an ardent Catholic and and yeah. like inject a lot of his morality into things, and and also like uh, I don't know, didn't like the obviousness of like ooh, there's something seedy going on in the suburbs. <laughs> Wait a minute, <laughs> you're telling me that stuff in the suburbs can be bad? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and. Yeah, people would use it as a cudgel, like, oh, Roger Ebert's the form, uh, America's foremost critic, but he doesn't like this. He doesn't like the masterpiece, Blue Velvet. Like, oh, yeah. okay. what an idiot! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he likes Garfield. How dare he? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. And if we're gonna tie it back to the YouTube video essayists, 
I like the the vlog like format because you're expressing a personal opinion and and Ebert was great at that. See, uh, but that's the but that's the, also the problem is the fact that because they're kind of limited to this format of YouTube, I feel like half the video is like qualifying. Now, excuse me, guys, in the comments, don't be mad, don't get mad at me. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, there's also like like a lot of other uh, quote unquote art forms. There is also a desperation to be liked. Uh, yes, so. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but that is not unique to YouTube video essays. So of course. Yes. Uh, well, Greg, we've talked way too much about YouTube. I think we should expand our, our listeners our listeners' reach by recommending something else they can watch on another streaming service, perchance. Uh, yeah, perchance. Not mine, but... Oh, um, great, yeah. great. This is why we need to coordinate better. <laughs> exactly. Um, He's going to recommend more YouTube for you guys. He's going to continue to poison your kids with garbage. Like well, Elsa's we'll... Spider-Man Pregnant Hulk. <laughs> like, yeah. That's how'd, you, how'd you know that's what I was going to recommend? <laughs> I went down a rabbit hole this week, folks. Uh, no. <laughs> no, we conclude, or uh, not conclude anymore, but um, we yes. do reserve some time every episode to recommend something, uh, either related or unrelated to the classic movie we just watched. It's our signature segment, Spotlight. 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 And I love deer! No, I wasn't saying you should watch something on YouTube. I'm saying you should watch something else on Disney+. Plus. Uh, oh, but, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, they got us by the brass balls. <laughs> now people are going to suspect they're paying us off. That's true. Which um, we would we would completely welcome. Please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that we would. No, John, I'm I'm talking about an underdog here that's on Disney Plus. Uh, the little guy who's getting who's getting taken down and and poked with a thousand holes. I want to uphold Pixar, upholding Pixar thought. Because um, mm. I saw th- this kind of this movie kind of passed like a candle in the wind. Uh, Luca. Uh, originally slated to come out in 2021. Um, unfortunately, the pandemic didn't uh, soften enough for Disney to do a full theatrical release, so it just went straight to Disney Plus, like their last movie, Soul. Uh, and Luca, and Luca, like Soul, is kind of getting I don't, like generally positive notices, but also people are like, it's not as good as the other movies. Like, why can't they do Wally or Ratatouille again? Like, oh, this and mm-hmm. onward or whatever. And I say, f you, wrong. <laughs> Luca is great <laughs> and you people have too high too high standards you're too picky you're you're uh i don't know contrarian blowhards and i'm i'm here to tell you to be uh anti-contrarian and say go with the mainstream disney product that's fun genial and uh great for the kids um, <laughs> have you gotten a chance to see luca yet or we actually watched it last night um, okay and simon my husband in the first five minutes said I'm not going to like this movie. Um, <laughs> Simon, he has some kind of aversion to things that are a little too exaggerated. If there's, if, if the, and I, animated in particular, if anything is just slightly over-exaggerated. But that's one of the things I appreciate about Luca is that Pixar is a little too, maybe he's a little too close to one certain style of yeah. animation. I feel like they haven't really experimented or reached beyond that, unfortunately. You kind of see it a little bit in Soul. But for this one, it's like the character designs are much more exaggerated. They're a little bit more kind of like softer in the features. Their eyes are much more far apart. Um, so I kind of appreciate it on that one. Um, but the story itself, maybe this is something like a maybe should have taken <laughs> instead <Yeah>. of Pixar. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's divergence from a lot of Pixar projects. As you said, the house style is different. They handed it to one guy, like an, an Italian guy, um, who did uh, a short called La Luna. And yeah, so now we're talking, instead of that 
of Pixar house style. Like now we've got big eyes, like exaggerated limbs and all that. And yeah, not hewing to the realism that like Toy Story 4 could like achieve. And, and <laughs> well, they still dinosaurs. do that too much with the backgrounds, which I do not like. Like there's yeah. some beach scenes in this movie where I'm just like, no, this is, this is wrong. <laughs> it looks too good. <laughs> it looks too beautiful. Stop it. Which I guess is kind of the point that this is like, you know, a, a greeting card from Italy. Uh, yeah. Also very kind of indistinguished from what time and place it's supposed to be taking place. But we know it's like turn of the century Italy. So well, not turn of the century, like post-war. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, apparently there were movie posters to signal that it's the 1950s. But like oh, okay. the turrets and the, the fact that it does ex- look exactly like cinema paradiso <laughs> indicated that yes, it was it was 1950s Italy. Got it. But um, yeah, they they kind of diverged from their house style, but also the storytelling because this is more like a, a light fable. This isn't like the the symphony that say like Wally or Ratatouille could be with like you know thrills, chills, laughs, tears. Like yeah. yes. <laughs> Instead, this is the fable about um two kids were sea monsters or sorry i should say one kid luca um who obviously wants to break out of the drudgery of his sea life um again like a lot of other pixar products it starts the same way in which like oh there's a hidden world and wouldn't you know it it's full of bureaucracy and, and yeah <laughs> it's full of rules it's stifling yeah, yeah. and so he he meets a, a kid who they go over the surface and they magically appear as humans and then he starts to i don't know like uh, uh learn to lo- love and appreciate the human world a little bit um and then th- th- comes in this race with a competition and they're not and they're not welcomed as outs or uh, as outsiders until this girl comes along and they decide to compete and and yeah again it's like a fable the only thing is like it building up to the race, I, I think it starts to lose some juice. Like, because um, yeah. the story is about the relationship of these two boys, but then a, a, a succubus gets in the way in the form of a <laughs> of a little girl going to school and wanting to do something with her life, <laughs> <laughs> which obviously puts uh, puts uh, you know, like now Luca is, is is in between two forces. You know, the one that yeah. wants to be responsible and one that wants to be free. Alberto is the other one. He's the he's the yeah. freeform spirit, but also just like a consummate liar. He like kind of pretends like he already knows everything. He's like, oh yeah, those things up in the sky, those are the big sky fish. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's great. I love that. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So again, this is a lighter fable. Like the comedy works. So what gets short shrift is the other parallel plot line we're watching is um luca's parents coming to retrieve him on the surface and trying to splash all the kids with water to see if they're sea monsters <laughs> yes because they don't which, recognize the, which their... the rest of the community is not too key well they, i feel like they should have been more involved in this it's like hey there's two crazy people running around and splashing all our children we should probably stop them <laughs> but i guess that's just a testament to how easygoing italians are it's just like hey yep. you do you yeah exactly again those are Voiced by the uh, comic supernovas Maya Rudolph and Jim Gaffigan, yet they don't get the like the biggest laugh. It's more the scenario that's getting the laughs, which is which is weird. Um, also weird. There's a there's a villain who looks exactly like a character from Jimmy Neutron. I mean, yes. down to the... <laughs> like bigger with bigger, more protruding teeth. So yeah, it, yes, the teeth, but nose, jawline, hair, like it's all the same. Um, yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, it's uh, fine. It's fine. It's cute. It's a very cute movie, but um, yeah, I, I don't think it. And maybe it's because I watched it streaming while my phone was in my hand instead of like, you know, if it were if it were in a movie theater, yes, maybe it would stick in my brain a little bit more. But yeah, it's a pretty light movie. I I just like the fact that it did go in a different direction from the typical Pixar product. I think that's what I appreciate it for. Like, again, it didn't feel like a story that was overdone by a committee. Um, again, it didn't feel like it had to do like 
there's only one scene of like genuine drama and it's when alberto like reveals himself as a sea monster otherwise the beginning is like still like very silly i thought like in a typical pixar movie that would be like the the intense sequence or something or Mm. yeah or again like there would be um even the underwater like we saw since like finding nemo they can do some amazing like realistic underwater effects that's not in luca which is fine because it's a a movie about sea monsters like silly sea monsters so yeah yeah. and obviously they don't have the background of the great barrier reef (laughs) to like fully render it and make it look nice like the fact that he needs to get out of the water is is part of the driving motivation so the underwater it's actually pretty dull and bland and bland and plain (laughs) yeah so i i appreciate it for going in a different direction and yeah what stands out to me what i think the director really wanted to do was those fantasy sequences um because again they have nothing to do with the story but like there's a scene in which like um he's picturing uh lucas picturing him and his friend alberto like on a on a moped going wherever they want in italy and then Mm. there's mopeds jumping over the the, uh uh, fields of grain like dolphins or something because because they obviously don't know what makes the mopeds work or And then another one when he actually does learn what uh, what astronomy is. It's not just big fish, you know, that make the stars. It, he runs along the rings of Saturn or whatever. And I'm like, okay, this is what the director wanted to do. It's joyous. It's fun. Like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad the audience gets to be a part of it, which is nice. So, yes. so yeah, I, again, a, a quality flick, as you said, may not like stand out the way other Pixar product has, but that's fine. All right, you you greedy you greedy bastards have gotten enough from them. All right, so lay off. <laughs> Ouch! I know. <laughs> Indicting so, the audience. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry, these critics make me so damn mad. <laughs> if only Roger Ebert was still alive, then we could funnel all our, our attention towards him. Now it's yes. like this loose cabal. There's no big names anymore. No, now it's yeah. just this amorphous plot that you just want to shake your fist at. Yeah. <laughs> print, print journalism is dead. Um, there are 80,000, currently 80,000 YouTube video, YouTube essayists out there, mm-hmm. each with yep. like 8,000 different opinions. Like, yeah, you can't I'll get mad at them. Um, <laughs> you know what it needs to be? It needs to be the AV Club. That's probably what I'm reacting to. Um, I haven't read the AV Club in weeks. I'm assuming they gave this like a C plus or something, and we're like, eh, it's not as good as <laughs> that day. Definitely, the tone was definitely not as good. Um, I think they gave it a, a cordial B minus. So they're, they're <laughs> like their very highest that they can give a mediocre movie is a yeah. B minus. <laughs> well, I think it's better than mediocre, but fine, whatever. Yeah. Damn AV Club. No, B minus B minus is the Marvel grade. You know, it's like, ah, it passes the time. It doesn't offend you. <laughs> you know, that's no, the I, perfect I, grade for a Marvel movie. <laughs> I thought I thought that was B plus. I thought it was like B plus, like, oh, it was exciting and they teased like a uh, X character from a comic you've never heard of. So <laughs> Well, Greg, this is this is going to lead into some even more disappointment because oh, yeah. <laughs> for my spotlight, I want to recommend you knew it was coming, and it's unfortunately another Disney Plus product, uh, Loki. <laughs> just a reminder: we are not getting paid. No, we are not getting paid by Disney. We are Look just at us, prostrating. Our beaks are bone dry right now, and we're out here recommending Disney products. Look at us; we're just pathetic fanboys, just yeah. fanboying out, gushing over every Disney product like pathetic. Pathetic little Neanderthals. Look at us. We I know. hate ourselves every day. God, we're like effing serfs in like 1400s France. But the master gives us our gruel in the form of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. No, actually, Loki's great because part of the joy of it is um, the creator of the show, Michael Warden, uh, he cut his teeth writing on Rick and Morty. So obviously oh, he's... great. <laughs> Something I... Another show I love. Well, look, for all its problems, one of the things that I think Rick and Morty does particularly well is the fact that it, it eschews any kind of stakes in the storytelling and any kind of like continuity. And so obviously the Marvel 
Marvel Cinematic Universe is built on that. It's built on, you know, people breathlessly making charts and predicting where it's going to go next. So, Loki, the premise is that, uh, as you remember, as I'm sure all of us remember from uh, 2019's Endgame, you know, not a very busy movie, very easy to remember all the basic plot points. Absolutely, yep, yep, yep. Loki grabs the Tesseract, um, that's the magical space cube, um, and then whoops away, and then we, you know, we're just kind of like, oh, crap, we failed, what do we do now? Um, this kind of carries on from that moment where he gets whooped away and he gets scooped up by the Time Variant Authority, which is this large, um, I don't want to say evil, but obviously very mysterious organization that ensures the continuity of the sacred timeline. They, they, they treat this sacred timeline with this religious awe. And that's what kind of makes this interesting is the fact that A, it has no respect for Marvel continuity, which is awesome. And then B, it's an actual Marvel product when the animating idea, it actually has something it wants to explore, which is this idea of predeterminism versus free will. Uh, okay. The character Loki, he is the uh, mischievous uh, god of, of, you know, all things trickery. And so when he's, you know, taken in by the TBA, arrested, he's like, the first episode is just fantastic because it's just this comedy set piece after comedy set piece of him getting sent through this, you know, bureaucratic nightmare. Uh, you know, he gets shifted from desk to desk and then one desk, there's just this gigantic stack of papers and the guy behind it hands him a paper, please sign this and confirm that this is everything you've ever said. And he's like, What? And then the little dot matrix printer prints out one more page that says what? And he puts it on top and he says this one too. <laughs> okay. All right. So like, and that's the brilliant thing about it is again, like, or at least that's where it's starting from. It's obviously a Marvel product. So I'm fully expecting it's going to fall apart by the end of its six episodes, just like WandaVision did, just like Falcon and Winter Soldier did. But at least it's starting from a strong premise. You know, there's this idea that, you know, Loki thinks that he's the ultimate master of control. He's blessed with prestigious purpose. And then he finds out that there is this time variant authority that basically dictates all the things he gets to do. Like, if there's anything mm. you've ever done in life, it's because we allowed it to happen. <laughs> okay. And, you know, like, and I'll also spoil the other great moment from that first episode. He obviously uh, escapes for a little bit. And so um, he eventually worms his way into, like, you know, it's like, again, it's this this design the production design is fantastic like the tva is like this kind of organization out of time they're using like old-timey technology um like dot matrix printers and things like that and so he worms his way into uh where they're storing the tesseract so he can get it back so he finds it in a filing cabinet after threatening someone and so he picks it up and you know he holds it with awe because we've been led to believe that it's a magical thing and then he looks down in the drawer and there's a million copies of it (laughs) And the guy he threatened says, like, oh, yeah, those haven't been reorganized yet. We kind of keep them as paperweights around here. (laughs) Okay. So it's, like, it's willing to kind of, like, you know, subvert those expectations and kind of blow up those. Like, because, again, like, the Infinity Stones for the first part of the the Phase 3 of Marvel was, like, oh, my God, these are the most important things. And it's, like, no, they don't care about these things anymore. (laughs) Well, I... I would find that more clever if it weren't coming from the same people who was like, oh, this doesn't matter. And the yeah, same people who were true. like, uh, Thanos is a bad guy. Cause he, who, who remembers 2018's uh, Infinity War when uh, the, the big bad Thanos kills Loki? Um, but don't worry, he's back. And and don't worry, Captain America will back. Don't worry, why don't we just bring everybody back? Um, <laughs> at the end of the movie, like they're doing kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Like, yeah. you know, none of it matters. But okay, so it, it sounds like they're having fun with that instead. Like, of, mm-hmm. like you know. Instead, like, oh, this this is the bigger stake instead. Like, this yes, is the... exactly. Like, yeah. again, and then the plot quickly turns into how can Loki take over the TVA? That's part of his All now right. new master scheme. Uh, although, 
the plot itself, and this is also why it's great, is the fact that he is now tasked, he's now brought in as like an officer of this TVA so that they can follow another Loki variant who's doing even more harm. And so the one who takes him under his wing is Agent Mobius T. Mobius, played beautifully by Owen Wilson. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and Wait, so he's agent. an agent. He's not the lead. He's not the head of the. Organization no, he's just like an agent. He's he's definitely higher up, but um, you know, he's worked his way up to the top. But he's also like because of that, he's also like the kind of like roguish one. He's like, hey, why do we got to do this? And it's just like, just do your job, movies. <laughs> but he's fantastic in this. Like him and uh, Tom Hiddleston just have great chemistry because you know, Loki as a character is very pomposterous and has that like Shakespearean affect, and you know, he threatens to burn this place to the ground. To which Mobius responds, Hey, why don't you come down to my front uh, to my desk, a lot of paperwork, great kindling, great place to start. Let's go. He's like very condescending to right. him. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. Let's see how it shakes out because uh, I'm, I'm fully <laughs> anticipating the last episode to be just action slock garbage. <laughs> so I'm surprised it hasn't been that already, but uh, <clears throat> yeah. No, no, no. They say no. they save that. You know, like WandaVision. WandaVision was interesting for the first four episodes, and then by the final two, it was like, oh, okay, this okay. is where we are. What so. about Falcon and the Winter Soldier? What's it called? Uh, Captain no, Falcon that was never the... interesting. That was never okay. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the animating idea behind that one was, hey, racism, not good. <laughs> Guys, let's stop what? that right now. <laughs> okay. See, well, and this is how this is how you know this is a good Marvel project. WandaVision, sent around a woman. <laughs> Falcon Winter Soldier, sent around a black man. <laughs> a Marvel show sent around two white guys? Yes, sign me up. Now they're back in their wheelhouse. Now they know what they're doing. Yeah, it's perfect. Okay. Uh, you know, representation's important. You know, I want to see somebody like myself on screen. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which doesn't happen very often. So. <laughs> So here we are against Surf's the Disney Empire. Our beaks yep. are bone dry. Hey, Disney, some scratch, please. Our way. All right. Come on. You can afford Three it. Three effing products that you can watch right now. You've got a billion dollars. Throw some our way, guys. Come yeah. On. Well, there's nothing else we can do except maybe a little trivia challenge. Oh, gosh. Well, what's the prize money here? Because, again. <laughs> Your prize money is respect, which you have yet All to right. earn from me. So, okay, I will, I will, I will uh, push that, push that like button, and it will equal <laughs> one respect. So, okay, there you go. Yeah. One like equals one prayer. Um, yeah. So this is another patented. Uh, this is my creation. This is my genius game. I call it name that movie, where I give you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Only, only a game, a game crafter of my genius could come up with a, a game so sophisticated. Yes. So this is another patented round of Name That Movie. Ten questions with an eleventh bonus question. All you have to do is name that movie. And again, in classic Name Your Movie, in Name That Movie fashion, there's no theme. These are just ten random movies. Don't worry about it. Okay, question the first. <laughs> oh, gosh, I, I, now I know. I got to figure it out first, or whatever. And is it is um, if it's if it's straight? Is it an acrostic of the word straight or something? Or I don't know. <laughs> we'll figure it out, won't we? Yes. <laughs> okay, question the first. Yeah. This is the first animated movie to be nominated for Best Screenplay, Original, or Adapted. Oh, uh, that would be Toy Story. That is correct. Good work. Hey. All right. Question number two. In this, muse- mu- yeah. <laughs> In this movie musical, it was calculated that the entire- throughout the entire production, the actors wore out 200 pairs of shoes, applied more than 100 pounds of makeup, split 27 pairs of pants, and performed in 30 different recording sessions. Name that movie. Uh, 
Well, I know the theme already. Um, <laughs> so you didn't do that. But what? Uh, uh, I know it's not correct, but uh, let's say a chorus line. I don't know, just for fun. <laughs> no, unfortunately, incorrect. The answer was West Side Story. Okay. I yes. That's the one. <laughs> that's the one with with West. That's the that's the United theme. Cardinal yes, Directions. You've got it. All right. Yeah. Question number three. For the premiere of this drama film, Netflix opened uh, reopened the Paris Theater in New York to play the movie exclusively. And this is the longest theatrical run any Netflix movie has had, lasting thirty days. Yeah. <laughs> Name the movie. <laughs> that would be Marriage Story. Correct. Good work. I'm surprised the Irishman didn't last that long. I, well, what theater would show it? At like three hours and 30 <laughs> Three <minutes>. hours, yes. <laughs> All right, question number four. While filming this sci-fi epic film in the Maldives, stars Alan Tudyk, Diego Luna, and Felicity Jones all lived together in a houseboat. Name the movie. <laughs> okay, I thought you wanted me to name the houseboat. Um, no. <laughs> but I'm presumably, if presumably the boat would be named for the ship, which is... <laughs> Called Rogue One, colon a Star Wars story. Very good, very good. Correct. Correct. Is it a colon or a dash? It's a colon. Okay. All right. Yes. And uh, like, like you know, I'm I'm go- going by the Gene Siskel way of viewing movies. Is a movie more interesting than watching all the actors just act? You know, play to, like just be together. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would rather see a movie lunch. of Alan Tudyk, Diego Luna, and Felicity Jones living on a house put together yeah. than whatever garbage <laughs> Rogue, Rogue One, one was. Being. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, question number five. Hilary Duff starred in this romantic fantasy movie, playing a bully, nerdy high schooler, despite the fact that she was homeschooled since grade three in order to focus on her acting career, having never actually attended high school. Name the movie. Uh, Well, that sounds very similar to um, the premise of Mean Girls, but the actual title is um, A Cinderella Story. That is correct. Yeah. The 2004 classic, A Cinderella yeah. Story. I know. That's the movie we're watching next week. So. <laughs> there you go, yes. All right, question number six. The director of this film made this project in total secrecy, shooting in Irvine, Texas, off the funds he made from his previous movie, which was a Disney product. Name that movie. Uh, so, repeat, where was it in Texas? Irvine, Texas. Irvine, Texas. All right. And the director did a Disney product. Oh, sorry, Irving, Texas. I was Irving, to Texas. Okay. Yeah. And you said the director made a Disney product before that, or mm-hmm. so he did. You know, classic uh, Steven Soderbergh. I do one for them. I do one for me. Well, that's that was my guess. <laughs> now I'm out of now I'm out of guesses. Uh, <laughs> let's go with um, you know. Let's go with David Lynch. Even though it's called Inland Empire, it probably. Well, could. I want you to name the movie he did. Okay, uh, let's call it Inland, Inland Empire. No, wait. <laughs> can't think of any movies set in Irving, Texas with the title uh, Irving in it, or or East, or whatever we're doing. Um, let's call it um, uh, New York Stories. No. <laughs> it's a ghost story. Oh, right. Because the yes. movie he did previously Dave Lowry. Was, yeah. Yes, Pete's Dragon. Yeah, Dave Lowry, you're right. Um, I can't believe I forgot. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot about the ghost story. <laughs> Not much happens in it. So, How dare you? How dare you? I know. Good song. Um, great cinematography. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number seven. This exciting adventure movie was shipped to theaters under the code name Project Red Cup. Name that movie. Project Red Cup. Exciting. Oh, um, is it um, Solo, a Star Wars story? <laughs> that is correct. Hey. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> See, I give you enough clues. I give you enough yeah. rope to hang yourself with. There. I, <laughs> what does the Red Cup have to 
do with anything again? Like Cause red solo cups. That's oh, that's it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, oh, there we go. Yeah. Got it. All right. Yeah. All right. Number eight. Catherine Hepburn defi- deferred her salary for 45% of the profits of this Hollywood classic, which is good because her co-star, Cary Grant, demanded top billing and $137,000 for his role. Name that movie! Well, I had to give some classic Catherine Hepburn zhuzh <laughs> to it. Absolutely. Well, uh, it, Hot Crackers, <laughs> that, that film can be none other than The Philadelphia Story. <laughs> That's correct, <laughs> you'll poop. <laughs> All right, number nine. Okay. <laughs> At the time of this fantasy adventure film's release, it was the most expensive movie produced in the Soviet Union, having mostly been filmed in Eastern Germany. Name that movie. Big Fantasy. It's a Soviet movie. Mm-hmm. Again, it has a cardinal direction in the title. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, 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 probably an adaptation of Russian literature. Let's just go War and Peace. I don't know, just because it's fun. See, you got you got caught up too much on the Soviet Union. Like, again, okay. it was it was filmed in in East Germany. So yeah. A lot of the props are still there. For instance, you can still ride Falkor. It's the never-ending oh, story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. I, yes. Let's let's go to East Germany right now. Um. <laughs> All right, number ten. For the unrated DVD release of this sports movie, a fake commentary track was made where the stars fight and claim to hate each other before storming out after 40 minutes. The commentary then is replaced by the commentary for There's Something About Mary. <laughs> Name that movie. Uh, so it's a sports movie. Mm-hmm. The people pretend to fight. What movie has... It's not, uh... <laughs> And would have a joke like that. I don't know. Um, I, I'm just going to go with my the first guess off the top of my head. Basketball. Um, oh, no, no. I know what it is. It's Dodgeball, a true underdog story. There you go. You got it. Damn. Yes. <laughs> you got it. Good for you. Again, the throwing of big jelly balls is what uh, yeah, it's, it triggered it in my head. But There you go. <laughs> All right. And now for your bonus question. Again, right. I'll give you a 10 out of 10. You're, you're, you're sitting at a cool C, C minus in my book, but whatever. So I have the... answered a majority. I've, I'm well past the AV Club's gentleman's B minus here. <laughs> Anywho, you've only gotten 7 out of 10, so I'm going to give you this bonus. If you name it right, then you, you'll yeah. give you 100%, okay? You, okay you'll yes. earn my respect. <laughs> the other questions don't matter. This is yes. it. <laughs> this is it. This is for all the marvels. Yeah. <laughs> this director grew up as a, uh, is a former rapper as part of Ice-T's record label, Rhyme Syndicate, under the stage name MC Taste. However, he quit rapping after his friend was killed in a gang shooting. Name that director. Oh, Tim Story. Correct. Tim Story. (laughs) Uh, Luminary director of such classics as Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four Rise of Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer. (laughs) And Fast Eight, I believe, or Furious Eight. What was it called? Fate of the Furious. That's it. Did he direct uh, that too, or I don't, see? All his movies have numbers in it, so it's really hard to keep track. <laughs> okay. I well, th- again, I just showed my ass there because yeah, a lot of people mistake him for F. Gary Gray and Antoine mm-hmm. Farquaad, who are obviously like three prominent black directors, but all unfortunately gets consigned to doing like similar movies in terms of like action premises. Like Antoine Farquaad did um did the um. Equalizer movies, action movies, like yeah. I think it was F. Gary Gray who did uh, the Fast and the Furious movie too, or something. Yeah, yeah, and you're also okay. So I see where your confusion lies. Uh, Tim Story did Taxi, the ah. uh, comedy with um, Queen Latifah <laughs> and Jimmy Fallon, that classic yeah. movie. 
Yeah. Actually, uh, by the way, everyone should recommend just the first like five minutes of that movie because the first five minutes of the opening is like this this bike messenger, you know, speeding through the lanes, just like spelt like faster than lightning person. Then they pull up to the messenger place, take off the helmet, Queen Latifah, full body person, and I'm like, now wait a minute, <laughs> John. Listen, like, are you saying are you making a comment on, on Queen Latifah's size? All right, <laughs> what I'm saying is if you're gonna do body doubles, get some something realistic. <laughs> All right, again, we're showing our asses here. We're, we're turning out to be genuine racists here. <laughs> you commenting on Quintley Tifa's size, me mistaking three of the best black directors working in Hollywood today, um, all the same person. Yes, we, we rightfully deserve to be canceled. Yeah. We're, in fact, we're welcoming it. You know, it's not like we're <laughs> Absolutely. saying... Absolutely. It's not like we're saying cancel comfort can't come for us. It's like, please, do come for us. Yeah. Please, oh, stop please. us. Yes, please stop do. us. Anything, yeah. Yes. Um... But if you want to uh, be contrarians, if you don't like cancel culture, be mm. a contrarian. Hey, give us a, a positive notice on your podcast service of choice. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, Stitcher. The, we're all on there. Um, you're probably not using Apple Podcasts anymore. No, and, no um, one's using knows? Apple yeah. Podcasts Yeah, anymore. who knows how to actually find how to write a review for it. So, yeah. <laughs> I think I think there's stories of people trying to use it and then their phone explodes because it's yeah. ah too much. I think I think it's like a, a false flag. I think they don't want people using it anymore. But uh, <laughs> but in any event, we're all in there. Give us a positive notice and it'll keep the show going and help more people find it. And we'll build a, a little community, a discourse, uh, if you will. Yes. See, that's and again, we'll we'll inspire future YouTube essays. How how much fun would that be? I, oh gosh. Um, <laughs> never mind. Actually, leave it alone. Don't don't. <laughs> don't write us a review. Don't reach out to us on social media. Don't email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail dot com. If anything, if it just leads to, if it leads to less uh, YouTube video essays, then that's what has to happen. So okay. that's that's the that's the hill we'll die on. So. Yeah. Now that it's left is a season with what we're watching next week. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're not done with YouTube video essays because you we watch this movie based on a YouTube video essay you saw and that intrigued you. Now it's my pick to watch a, a movie that I was inspired to see after watching a YouTube video essay and it's uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall. Mm-hmm. This was uh, this was based on a uh, YouTuber's reaction to another YouTuber's <laughs> critique of <laughs> of The Wall and I thought like, yeah, I, and, I've got to see the universe is now eating itself, so yeah. <laughs> pretty yeah. sure I'm, time is collapsing into a flat circle finally, so <laughs> yes. Um, We'll be watching this one, um, and hopefully, yeah, we won't have to. <laughs> we can hopefully close the book on the wall and not have to worry about uh, any more pedantic debates on YouTube. Uh, and uh, if you're wondering who won that debate, uh, nobody, because if you're on YouTube, you're already a loser. So. Yeah, nobody wins. Yeah. Nobody wins. <laughs> yeah. Unlike podcasting, which is for winners and cool people. Of so. course, absolutely. <laughs> Only the coolest people podcast. Only the most cool, handsome people podcast. Because, you know, we're so not vain. We don't even need to show our faces. It's, it's perfect. We're great. We're great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. And we can't do any better. And we can't improve. So, because nope. we don't need to. So, yes. All right. Well, until then, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring one singular <laughs> sensation <laughs> and you can forget the rest <laughs> da -da 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 -da. one <laughs> then get it. I don't remember the words fuck <laughs> I know. it's a great song every though. move that they make <laughs> da -da 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 -da. Yeah. one singular sensation every little
station Every move that she makes One smile and suddenly nobody else will 